Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today our topic is Ivy Tech Community College. Our guests in the studio are Tom Snyder, the president of Ivy Tech Community College, and John Weichart, who's the chancellor of the Ivy Tech campus in Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or... 877-285-9348 if you're outside of the Bloomington calling area, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Tom, President Snyder, thank Thank you you very much. It's still President-elect for two more weeks. Two more weeks. weeks. All right. Well, thank you for being here. And Mary Catherine, good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks. Well, we we, uh, have talked about Ivy Tech more or less from the Bloomington campus standpoint before on the show. And John, I'm sure we'll get to talk more about that today, but let's uh, turn to Tom first. And and Tom, if you don't mind um, doing this, could you sort of uh, give our listeners a little bio, you know, where where you've been and how you you wound up with this job at Ivy Tech? Well, uh, people are asking me that anyway, how I uh, chose to do this. I'm an Indiana guy born in uh, Anderson, spent uh, most of my life uh, close by uh, a few stints. I was in the Air Force for six years in Uh, R&D missiles, uh, a stint in Washington, D.C., four years in Detroit. Uh, But since 1981, I've been back uh, happily in Indiana. Uh, A little bit more background in that, a a good bit of that experience. The uh, Air Force experience was in technology and the rest was in uh, industry. General Motors, uh, independent businesses inside General Motors, and we bought a piece of General Motors in 1994, and I stayed with that until I retired uh, just about a year and a half ago. Spent the last year and a half in an incubator, a uh, business incubator, and uh, helping people do startups. And that's when uh, my paths crossed once again with Ivy Tech. Okay. So how does uh, your background how – do, how do you see your background relating to higher education? What excites you about Ivy Tech and, and the community college system? Well, I grew up in a college-going family, and uh, we all went to program- schools. We all went to college and um, my four children went to college, two here and uh, two at Purdue. Uh, I have my MBA from IU. It's uh, higher education, just part of the fabric. Uh, We now have look forward to nine grandchildren and a tenth to be born (laughs) on the 27th of June. A lot more college in front of me, but uh, you know, we just have a a strong Association with college and the, and really a strong association with Ivy Tech. Sounds like that tenth grandchildren children, child will be born about what three days before you're the official president. Of that's Ivy right. Tech. That's right. Well, you're going to have a big week. Well, that's interesting <laughs> because my first grandchild was born about a month before we really took over Dalco Remy. So that <laughs> makes it easy to remember all those birthdays. Yeah. You know, you mentioned retirement somewhere along in in the long list of your accomplishments, and it seems that you're kind of following the Lee Hamilton model of retirement, which is not exactly at all. Well, I'll tell you, a good friend of mine, uh, a Marion, maybe they're listening in the, the Kokomo station anyway, Leland Boren is kind of my role model. I, he just uh, had his uh, knee uh, improved. We won't even say worked on it. His <laughs> knee improved. He's, uh, well, a little north of 80 and is still uh, involved in business. And I think that uh, if you look around society, people need to stay engaged and keep giving back. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know, uh, Tom, we've had a conversation before, and I know you've been going around to, to various campuses. Um, what, what have you been finding as you've been exploring in the, these first few months uh, before you take over officially? Well, I think two things really uh, actually uh, pleasantly surprised me, and that is first is the community involvement. I think that I just didn't fully comprehend how – strongly embraced the community college system was in the state of Indiana. And I actually, I'm making two official visits next week, but I've actually been on virtually every campus and I've met with uh, community groups in each one. The regional boards, you know, in in this region chaired by Connie Ferguson, the regional boards are a uh, force in the community and uh, I think that's a, a critical element. The other thing that I'd say is that the consistency of the academic delivery uh, is very impressive. They've been working on common programs, a common syllabus, 
common delivery now for over a dozen years, and it shows. Now, what about the bricks-and-mortar type of uh, question? Are, are you, as you tour around, um, are you pleased with the resources that you have there, or is that something that you're going to be looking at during your presidency? Well, I think we've been given an opportunity to make what I call the next major step in creating a campus structure, and that would be what you have in Bloomington, we should be able to uh, replicate in some fashion in about a half a dozen other sites. The one most in need of recovery, it would be the Indianapolis location. Uh, not much investment there. That's really our anchor campus, 15,000 students in the Indianapolis region. But uh, we still have to uh, go through the final uh, review justification with uh, various state agencies, and uh, we're going to make that a top priority. All right. Our phone numbers today, uh, as always, 855-0811 in Bloomington, or if you're outside of the Bloomington calling area, 877-285-9348, or you can send email to noon at indiana.edu. Our guests today are Tom Snyder, who will become president of Ivy Tech Community College on July 1st, and John Weikart, the chancellor of the Ivy Tech campus here in Bloomington. July 1st is right. July 1st is correct. Okay, good. All right. Um, John, I want to bring you into the program. Um, the when uh, Tom mentioned the the campus here, and he, he also you know, he mentioned the consistency of the academic delivery. I know that's one of the things you've been working on. I know the community involvement piece is something you've been working on. Um, you mentioned Connie Ferguson and the board here, but it's really been it's been the board's involvement, but it's also been your student engagement project and student engagement. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Let's talk about both of those things. First, the academic delivery and what's been happening on the Bloomington campus in terms of of academic delivery. Well, and I I guess I would use as a reference point the fact that uh, we will soon be in our – I don't say new building anymore because we need another one. But uh, (laughs) our current building for for, uh, five years and when I think about – uh, how we've grown, uh, we moved into that facility, moved into our facility with about 2,600 students and we'll have over 5,000 students uh, this fall. Um, our uh, health programs have expanded from our two nursing programs to uh, to eight additional health programs now. Um, if someone were to ask me, what do you see your next academic programs being over the next three years? If I had been asked that, Two years before the biotechnology program came up, I wouldn't have mentioned biotechnology because I wouldn't have known, frankly, what that meant. Um, so uh, our, our life science uh, area has grown very rapidly, and I would include under that umbrella both the health programs and the biotechnology programs, uh, the training relationships we have on the workforce development side with, in particular, our five life science industry partners. Uh, so, so, and the relationship with with the university, uh, the uh, dramatic um, increase in the number of courses that transfer. The mm-hmm. the it has to be a dramatic increase when we didn't have any degrees that were articulated to the fact that we have fifteen locally and we'll have three more uh, before this calendar year mm-hmm. is out. Uh, and I think all those things uh, contribute to the growth, to the to the fact that we've gone from 2,600 to 5,000 students. It, it's interesting to me, and I know that that uh, uh, Tom will be able to articulate very well um, the college statewide. Uh, it's it's always interesting to me because I think in our communities, when we think of Ivy Tech, we think of our local campus. Uh, so. How, how are the demographics in Bloomington different than they are at other campuses? How are the academic programs uh, different? And, and I think what, what we would see, and I'm sure what, what Tom is finding, is that from region to region, we don't all have the same menu of academic programs because first, we don't necessarily need to. That may not be the most efficient way to deliver them. Uh, but secondly, we're each responding to different needs in our service area. So, so you're going to see a different menu, perhaps, from one part of the state to another. Yeah, I want to ask Tom to respond to that in a minute. But, I'll, but you know, I, sometimes I love I, – well, I always love my job. But last week I, I was at uh, Mid, the Midwest Proton Radiotherapy mm-hmm. Institute. I was at MPRI and toured that and wrote a little something about it. But I asked them specifically about you know their relationship with Ivy Tech because you've developed some – programs specifically or that, that are really geared toward them, correct? Exactly. Yeah, the, the radiation uh, therapy technology degree program, uh, we have the only such degree program in our system and, uh, and the only two-year program in the state. And it was developed because Midwest Proton Radiotherapy Institute said they needed 
a radiation therapist. Mm-hmm. So it was directly in response to that that need. Right. So that's exactly what you were talking about before about how different campuses have have different uh, things that they might be able to offer their communities. Tom. Well, I think the same thing applies in other areas. Uh, <clears throat> I was in Warsaw yesterday. And we have right across the street from Medtronic is a a training program for orthopedic uh, technology uh, machinists in particular where they can take both credit and non-credit courses because that's a huge industry there. It's the only place like it in Indiana. It's actually the only place like it in the world where you're selling billions of dollars of orthopedic product from a small county in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the uh, beauties of Ivy Tech is you can respond uh, that way. Uh, one of John's uh, new potential program is uh, regulatory affairs uh, to teach people in a factory setting how to deal with the FDA. Mm-hmm. You need that here. Uh, it also maybe is a bit of a bellwether. Uh, the fact that you're doing some of these uh, indicate that Indiana may be a focal point for growth. Uh, this uh, pharma testing business that is uh, starting the center in Indiana is uh, still fledgling, but it could be uh, uh, we're the Silicon Valley of uh, pharmaceutical testing. Mm-hmm. And, and Tom mentioned uh, the regulatory affairs again in response to a, uh, to a need expressed to us by uh, Kim Hawkins and Steve Ferguson at Cook. Um, and, and it's critically important for us to fulfill our mission that we, are, we not only respond, but we respond quickly uh, when, when those needs are presented to us. How quickly can you respond to something like that? If, if somebody from Cook, if Kim Hawkins comes to you and says, we really need to, to have people coming out who are trained in regulatory affairs, you know, what do you do to set, set about putting a program together? Well, well let, me, let me use the radiation therapy okay. example because it's a real-life example. Um, Alan, Dr. Alan Thornton uh, invited uh, Jim Smith, my academic dean, and myself to, uh, to MPRI to the facility in October of 2003 uh, to tour the facility. And at that point, he, he presented to us the need for trained radiation therapists. Uh, Fifteen months later, the Commission for Higher Education approved Ivy Tech Bloomington to award and offer such a degree. Uh, Fifteen months in higher education is warp speed. Uh, So to move from concept to actual program delivery in 15 months uh, is, is, again, it's, it's, it's our mission and our responsibility. Tell us what the need is, and it's our responsibility to react, uh, uh, and I, I guess I would prefer to say respond rather than react, but respond uh, uh, quickly. And um, I mentioned Jim Smith, our academic dean, who was able, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, let's go out and find a similar program. Uh, Alan Thornton uh, mentioned uh, one from the state of Massachusetts. There were others. It's go out and find the best model, adapt them for our specific needs, uh, develop a curriculum, present it through the college process to the Commission for Higher Education and seek approval. Uh, but but that's exactly how it's done, and that's um, uh, in real time how long it took us to go from concept to delivery. So do you have folks actually charged with the duty of going out to look for those kinds of opportunities? Um, I, I think I think all of us are charged with uh, uh, with that responsibility, and the ideas come back from uh, from from uh, every part of our campus, uh, from staff, from faculty, from administrators, and you know we spend a great deal of time sitting down and and uh, saying among ourselves, all right, this is a need that's been expressed. Is it an, is it an academic program need or is it a workforce development training need? So that we know whether to respond on the credit side or the non credit side. And again, it goes back to um, to our dual mission and, and uh, um, working with our local employers uh, to uh, respond to their workforce needs. Tom? Well, there are 150 people we have in workforce development in the state, <clears throat> and they are actually out talking to employers. We're dealing actively with 2,000 people like Medtronic, uh, uh, as the example I just mentioned, where we're listening to them and saying, what do you need? So I think as we talk to people around the state, that's one of the things that we need to send as a message to even uh, your audience, and that is if you have a, a need in the workforce, either for credit, uh, entry level to a four-year program, or a, a specific trading program, Cisco, Microsoft, uh, that's really our mission. It's not well-known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to think how many campuses, how many Ivy Tech campuses would be in our listening area. There there must be, you must have several. Several, yeah, several, because, yeah. you know, as I've driven around, of course, I've stayed tuned. I was listening to your show a few weeks ago. I, I mentioned to you when President-elect McRobbie was mm-hmm. on, so... Uh, <laughs> But uh, certainly, you know, when we think about Central Indiana, we have 23 campuses. 
Uh, we have uh, 77,000 students win our spring term. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, reaching a lot of people, but I think that's uh, we're not reaching nearly the number we need to. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when uh, you know John was mentioning warp speed in the the world of higher education, you come from an industrial background or more of a, 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 a private sector background. Um, is that an issue that you've um, either run into or have been concerned about in terms of how long it takes to get things done in higher education versus the world that you've come from? Well, I think there are certain things where you have to uh, get the uh, consensus of the of the academic side and make sure that we're moving everybody in the right direction. But I think you've demonstrated uh, just even at Indiana University that you can come in and you can change particularly uh, the business system side of it. Uh, I think that's one of the things that we hope to understand here in terms of system support and systems technology where now IU has uh, really changed its whole whole focus. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and uh, copy that and maybe get support from IU to change us. We've not invested in technology. Uh, we are operating regionally and we think that the students are really ahead of us on that and uh, IU's made great strides. So one of the purposes of my visit today is to meet some of those folks and learn more about what you've done here in the last six or seven years. Mm-hmm. All right. 855-0811 is the Bloomington number or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. If you have any questions at all, any comments or questions about Ivy Tech Community College, we have Tom Snyder, president-elect, who will take over on July 1st as president of the community college system in Indiana, and John Weikart, Chancellor of the Ivy Tech campus in Bloomington. I'm wondering, there's new leadership at Purdue, at Indiana University, and now at Ivy Tech. I'm wondering if you've had an opportunity to, to interact, uh, the new leaders have had an opportunity to interact, and, and what kind of a council or plan or communication um, plan have you, have you given thought to? Well, of course, uh, with the uh, retiring presidents, I had a working relationship, particularly Dr. Jiski. He and I are on the uh, manufacturing uh, leadership team for the state. And uh, it's probably no coincidence I'm in Bloomington today, so I'll be meeting with uh, one or two president-elects that are in the local area. I've met Mike McRobbie, but we haven't had a chance to uh, talk and see how IU can really uh, help us because of the progress that they've made. But we have an active dialogue with uh, Dr. Joanne Gora and uh, Dr. Benjamin. And uh, when the new president of Purdue comes here, I think it's important. We look at ourselves as a, a unique uh, mission, and that is we're trying to reach out and get more students to think about college. And we have a particular problem in Indiana. You have this problem in all of your regions, and that is our dropout rate is uh, too high. And if we don't do something to convince more of these people to go beyond uh, where they were or to do better than they had done with ISTEP, we're going to have economic fallout that uh, cannot be uh, addressed. So we think that's our unique mission, and uh, that should really be a great extension of helping the uh, baccalaureate schools. Um, Either of you can answer this, but, John, you probably have more – well, I know you have more direct uh, relationships with – Students, but how has the student body of, of Ivy Tech Community College changed over time, or has it changed over time? Well, I, I think it has uh, changed over time. Um, it, it would probably depend on where you look at what regional campuses. You may see uh, different changes. We were just talking before the the program about the student demographic, how how old our students are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been with the college sixteen years now. Um, I came here 16 years ago and thought I'd stay a year while I looked for a job. And <laughs> anyway, 16 years later, here I am. Um, the, the average age of our students 16 years ago uh, was uh, 32. When you look at the Bloomington campus, our largest demographic now is students who are the under, under the age of 24. So we've seen locally uh, a shift uh, to younger students, more traditional age students, more students enrolled full time. Uh, we had a uh, demographic, if you will, a couple of years ago where we actually had more students taking classes during the day than in the evening. So, you know, we're seeing those those kinds of shifts. Uh, certainly at Bloomington, and I would guess you'd see them other places around the state. Um, I think Bloomington is is unique in that uh, with our relationship with the university, we, we now have um, 
uh, at our campus students who are here from 71 counties around the state. We have over 300 students who live in the IU residence halls this year. And uh, they're here because they're coming to us directly, more directly out of high school, uh, because they see an opportunity here locally to transfer uh, from here to the IU Bloomington campus. So, so again, as you, look, as you look at us around the state, you're going to see uh, some differences, but I think certainly the, the, the age demographic may be somewhat significant. Along those same lines, I'm curious if you're seeing more students starting with the intention to finish a degree program at Ivy Tech, or if, you're, if the trend is uh, you're seeing more students with the intention of maybe doing two years at Ivy Tech and then transferring to Indiana University or Ball State University? We, we are seeing um, an increase in the student population uh, who tell us they are coming to us with the intent to transfer. Uh, I remember um, about four or five years ago being asked by uh, an official from, from the university, well, how many of your students are, are transfer bound? And I said, well, the reason that number is so difficult to pin down is uh, this is a journey. Mm-hmm. And we, we get students who are first generation, many of our students first generation in their family to come to college. Um, when they come to us, they, they may not express um, that their intention is they're going to earn a two-year degree and that they want to transfer it. And they learn, they learn during the journey uh, that that's a possibility. They learn during the journey that they are prepared, that they're ready. Uh, that that's an option that they have. So um, s- somewhere in that in that grouping of students is a group who come to us and they aren't going to know for a while that that's exactly what they want to do. But mm-hmm. horizons broaden as they go through Absolutely. the process. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I mentioned before the, the uh, community involvement piece, and, and I, I don't know. I, I know that, that your campus, that the Ivy Tech Bloomington campus, is, is very committed to, to civic engagement community engagement. You have the O'Bannon Institute. Um, two questions, I guess, is, is one, can you uh, explain how that came about and why you think that's important? And then two, and I guess this might be more for Tom, is this something that has spread to other Ivy Tech campuses or is this unique to Bloomington? Well, um, we, actually, uh, in Bloomington, uh, when we came to the new facility in 2002, we spent a great deal of time talking about the facility um, is an investment. Uh, it's not a gift. It's an investment. We talked a lot among ourselves about the fact that um, that if 90 percent plus of our students from our service area stay and work and um, um, remain in our service area, how do we pay back the investment other than that? And, wh- and what if our students left us with as much a commitment to community service as to uh, staying in their communities and working. And, and from that, um, we developed um, the application of this concept, con, uh, concept of civic engagement at our local campus. And um, I've said this often, and Bob's eyes will roll back when I mention it again. <laughs> but, but, you know, we view civic engagement as a, as a three-legged stool, and we use that metaphor a lot. So it's how do we encourage volunteerism on the part of individuals? How do we integrate service learning opportunities into the curriculum of our programs, which is extremely important? I mean, all the research says that students who have experiential opportunities and the opportunity to come back and reflect on those as part of a curriculum, first of all, retention rates are higher. Uh, and and you produce a better graduate uh, through that process. And then lastly, how do we use our institutional resources in support of our community? So so the O'Bannon Institute is an event uh, within that broad umbrella of um, of civic engagement. And and I I know Tom knows, and but, but let me say that um, we now and in the past uh, year. Uh, 13 of our 14 regional campuses have become part of Indiana Campus Compact. Uh, In Indiana Campus Compact, uh, in each of the 50 states, there are such organizations uh, that encourage uh, how we, especially service learning and civic engagement, how we incorporate those things in in what we're doing as, as both public and private institutions. I think we have an advantage in that as I've watched this, as I look at our four-year partners, often our four-year partners talk about service learning as an opportunity for, for students to, to, to discover a volunteer network, uh, to expand resumes, to graduate from a school of business and have on your resume, not only did I graduate from a school of business, but I volunteered and I did, I did these things. We're a teaching institution, so we have an opportunity to integrate this into the teaching that we do at our institution. So uh, we're real excited about that. Mm-hmm. Tom, and how do you see that as a, as fitting into the whole um, the whole system wide 
Well, I, I think it's critical. It's part of my personal mission. Uh, my family and I have been uh, involved in volunteer activities, uh, and we think that's something we want to spread. Even today, as we think about it, Steve Daly, our chancellor from Kokomo, is in uh, Ecuador and I think going to the Galapagos as part of a Save the Rainforest mission and taking Ivy Tech students uh, uh, with him. I think that's uh, part of the uh, college experience that people are now getting here that uh, we just have to continue to emphasize. Mm -hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 and 877-285-9348. You can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We've reached break time. Our guests again, Tom Snyder, president-elect of Ivy Tech Community College, and John Weichart, chancellor of the Ivy Tech campus in Bloomington. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU is a media sponsor for the Brown County Playhouse, kicking off their season with the country and western musical Pump Boys and Dinettes. At other theaters, at the Bloomington Playwrights Project, it's the tense drama Men of Tortuga. And at the Shawnee Theater, it's the Hank Williams story. More about these and many others at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our guest today, Tom Snyder, president-elect of Ivy Tech Community College. He'll be taking over as president on July 1st. And John Weichart, who's the chancellor of the Ivy Tech campus in Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, I think I want to start off this part of this half of the program by going back to the whole idea of um, high school educations and how a lot of students and this, you know people may be um, may underestimate the number of kids that actually drop out of high school and don't go on to to college in any way, don't finish their high school diploma or are, are considering doing that. Um, and then you know, the other side of that is, is the affordability of college and that, that not everybody can afford to go to a four-year college right off the bat. So where does Ivy Tech fit into that? Well, let me take on the numbers because I think you're, you know, we're on the verge of a crisis uh, where the, uh, the input's not going to match the demand. Take 2005 when we grad, we had uh, 78,000 – well, I'm an engineer. So it was 78,800 uh, ninth graders. Of those, 63,000 stayed around till 12th grade but only 55,000 graduated, which means the, the difference didn't pass I-STEP. And of those, about 60 percent went to college. So to make the math easy, about 40,000 go to college and about 40,000 don't. And many of those who don't don't have a diploma. That says this – group of 30 and under, there are a half million young people in Indiana that don't have post-high school skills, many without a diploma. You cannot take that and match an unemployment rate of 4 to 4.5 percent like you have around here and say, where are we going to get the talent to, uh, to support our uh, businesses? And just as importantly, where are these young people going to be able to go with uh, that kind of academic background? Uh, we're trying to get that message out, and, and John's got uh, very specific outreach programs, I think, to uh, reach into the high schools and even beyond uh, to address that. What, what happens if a person doesn't – has not graduated with a, a diploma? They've, they've gone through the 12 years, but they don't earn the diploma. They don't have a GED. Um, is that anything Ivy Tech gets involved with even at that early stage? 
yes. Uh, a student can come to us um, currently with a requirement that uh, that if they're a programmatic degree-seeking student, then, then within a year of their program progress, uh, they have to have earned a high school diploma. And there are a number of ways we can work with them uh, to accomplish that. But there are some programs coming up online, too, uh, double-up and fast-track programs that give uh, individuals who are over the age of 19 and who have been out of uh, school for a while an opportunity to come to Ivy Tech. Uh, and pursue an academic program and and, a, and the double up program, which is an opportunity to capture uh, some high school students uh, who, for whatever reason, um, need a different kind of an academic environment. And and I'm talking about students who um, may feel like they need to be more engaged in the academic uh, process, uh, who can also come to us and uh, and now under new legislation be able to earn a high school their high school diploma while while at Ivy Tech. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get back to the affordability question in just a second, but we have a phone call. So let's go to Martin on the phone. Martin? Yes. Um, I wanted to say that I think uh, that the Ivy Tech operation, expanding as it is, has been a tremendous benefit to the state of Indiana because of the low number of um, our citizens with a uh, post-secondary education. So um, I'm a, a longtime member of the Indiana University Faculty Council, and uh, we've been talking about the articulation agreement uh, between Indiana University and its various uh, campuses and Ivy Tech. And um, uh, I think there were three elements of concern uh, among the faculty. Uh, we were told by the legislature and our administrators that we had to approve the articulation agreement. Uh, many of us were skeptical about that on three grounds. Uh, the first was that uh, with its uh, subsidy, uh, Ivy Tech would be offering elementary courses at a lower price than Indiana University. And while that might be good for the student and their parents, it wouldn't be good for IU. Uh, that doesn't bother me too much. Uh, IU seems to have enough money to do what it wants to do. A uh, second uh, problem was that uh, students in a two-year uh, program might not uh, be ready for um, going on to a very different experience at a four-year research university, um, that doesn't prove to have been um, a justified concern either. Uh, but the third concern remains with us, and that is uh, whether the quality of the courses uh, that are fall under the articulation agreement as taught at uh, Ivy Tech with its different kinds of students will prepare them for intermediate and higher level courses at IU. Uh, I think you know that uh, IU Bloomington is trying to improve the quality of its student body and uh, bringing in students who have uh, transferred from any other institution uh, is uh, always a problem. So what I'd like to ask the two gentlemen is, uh, what are you doing to make sure that the quality of the preparation at Ivy Tech and those courses covered by the articulation agreement uh, will qualify them um, uh, academically uh, to succeed at Indiana University on one of its campuses. Okay, Martin. Thanks a lot for the call. Well, let me take uh, the first part of this question and then I'll uh, let John speak uh, specifically about uh, quality. But let me take uh, this part of it and that is uh, number one, our mission, and it's not just a legislative mission, but our mission is to reach out and to upgrade uh, the citizens of Indiana. And it's going to take a lot of collaboration and cooperation. Our enrollment in even the minority areas, particularly in, you know, in the urban centers that, that we uh, concentrate in, is not good. And we have to be able to attract those students and give them the skills to do that. And to the extent that uh, it's still uneven, which we I don't think it is, uh, it is, then we'll make sure that it's the same everywhere. But it's an obligation that I think we have in Indiana, and that is to build this talent base. If we do that, it'll address all of these questions. I think we'll have many more students than our four-year institutions can actually accommodate, and our enrollment numbers uh, tend to uh, support that. My uh, Experience in the last few weeks says that we're we're providing uh, faculty that are are in front of the students 
that are hands-on, quite experienced, quite talented, uh, particularly because we have so many adjunct. Uh, we're reaching out to people with, with real hands-on experience that, and putting them in front of the students in small group settings of 20 to 30 students. So it does create a unique opportunity. John? Um, uh, I appreciate Martin's uh, questions, and I think he, he succinctly identified the three areas that I would understand uh, may have been uh, issues. Um, let me quickly say about the issue of economics that uh, I've always believed this was an additive process, that students come to us uh, seeking uh, an associate degree or seeking two years of education who, who would, would not have been um, uh, students particularly who would have gone to IU Bloomington as a starting point for economic reasons perhaps. But the additive process comes in when they've completed their associate degree and want to transfer into the university, at, if you will, at the junior level, when attrition levels have hit their highest peak, perhaps at the four-year institution. So you really have an influx of students coming in that adds to your economic uh, base that may not have been there otherwise. Uh, to, the, to the issue of, and, and, and Martin uh, was perhaps subtle about it, but the, the, the issue of quality uh, that used to pop up that I hope we've gone um, a long way towards um, diminishing, I think what was most interesting was <laughs> And I would cite a couple of examples. As we began to um, uh, sit down with faculty from Indiana University who were sitting down with faculty from, from Ivy Tech, and Martin's correct that one of the factors that brought them together was legislation and, uh, and, and mandates. Uh, but the fact is we should have done this a long time ago. Uh, when faculty sit down together and there's a recognition that the faculty teaching uh, at Ivy Tech, teaching basically 100 and 200 level equivalent courses uh, as offered by the university, possess master's degrees in the discipline. Many of them hold doctorates uh, in the area in which they're teaching. I think there's a realization that I'm not sure you find that same credential at the four-year institutions teaching one and 200 level courses. So as you look at the credentials of those teaching those, those courses, I think there was some surprise at, at that finding. Uh, the examination of curriculum, and, it, and it's not as if we enforce our curriculum and syllabus on our four-year partners. Uh, it's a negotiated process. There's an examination of curriculum, and I think the university faculty were pleased to find that at Ivy Tech we have common course curriculum across the board. Um, so that was uh, very helpful in, in the relationship. When it comes to the students and their preparation, um, if you look at the passport program at IUPUI that's existed for a number of years, all of the data would suggest and we're told that IU's own analysis of that has been that Ivy Tech students transferring in uh, to IUPUI perform at and succeed at levels equal or higher than uh, the general population. Uh, I think of our HoosierLink program, a national program that exists here in Bloomington where IU has identified a cohort of students uh, and in a, in a joint relationship with Ivy Tech, those students are on our campus this year uh, taking not remedial courses but general education courses. If they come out of their uh, 27 credit hours with a GPA of 2.5, their conditional admission is lifted and they uh, go to IU as sophomores. So uh, the university certainly has recognized in these discussions the, the, the readiness quotient. And I guess lastly, I would point out that uh, some of the most difficult eggs to crack have been in the areas of math and science courses when we talk about uh, course transfers. Uh, we teach uh, a math course at IU Bloomington now uh, that the negotiation with IU Bloomington was uh, use our textbook, use our test. We will, we will provide the test for you to administer to your students, and then we'll see how this all pans out. Uh, the first midterm exam, the highest score was an Ivy Tech student in a comparison of Ivy Tech students with, with Indiana University students. And what we're seeing now after multiple semesters is that, that, that the grade point average uh, and, and the success rate and the grade distribution has been equal among Ivy Tech students and Indiana University students. So I think all those things go pretty far to dispelling some of the myths that I think have been, have been part of this for years. Mm -hmm. Okay. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. we got about 15 minutes left to go in the program. We were talking about uh, the affordability of Ivy Tech and, and also I, I want to talk about financial aid. I mean how many of your students get financial aid and what kind of financial aid is, is available? 
Well, um, at our campus, and I think this probably holds true statewide, uh, 75% of our students uh, are either recipients of um, uh, student loans or federal financial aid. Uh, and, and we just came off a um, highly successful um, fundraising campaign uh, from a couple of years back. And part of, I think, uh, Tom talks about how we need to tell our story better, and, I, and I, that's absolutely true. Our tuition is less than um, other institutions' tuition. But the fact is our students still have unmet needs. Uh, uh, tuition's one thing. Uh, financial aid is one thing. Uh, we don't have residence halls, but our students still live somewhere. And that means they have utility bills and, and uh, rent bills or home bills. They have transportation bills. A number of them had child care issues. Uh, so uh, as, as, as much as um, we have kept our tuition – uh, uh, very affordable. Uh, we and and a number of our students are on financial aid and receive that sort of assistance. More and more often, we need to turn to to our friends in the in the, uh, the private world and uh, and seek their assistance to help our students. Mm-hmm. Tom, well, if you think about the cost, it's uh, for a uh, uh, two semesters. It's it's twenty dollars a day, three thousand dollars a year. Um, that's a message we need to get across to people because they may not realize it and families may make a don't-go-to-college decision because of that. So that's still a lot of money in the case of, uh, of a young person. But that's the good side. The, the problem side for the state of Indiana is that our tuition is 30, 40 percent higher than community college tuitions in the surrounding states, particularly Michigan, where it's maybe uh, $1,500 to $1,800 a year fully articulated with Michigan State or the University of Michigan, subsidized by property taxes. Mm. So we have a low college going rate. We have a reasonably affordable tuition, but it's not as affordable as states around who have a close link with their four-year institution. One of the things we're looking at, and that is we need to do more foundation work, more endowment work uh, to do that. Communities need to be thinking of uh, more scholarships for hard-to-reach students to help them. Uh, Elkhart has a uh, foundation endowment from an industrialist that gives them a 50 percent discount. It's had a big impact on helping some of these younger people get out of this tradition of don't go to college. That kind of leads me to to the question I've been thinking about. What kind of issues? We just finished a a budget year with the state legislature. So um, is that something that you're going to raise uh, with the legislature in the future, or are there any other issues that you see yourself bringing before the legislature? Well, I think one of the things that started to get some interest in that is to say, how do we uh, reach this large group of people? And are there some ways that we should actually focus on a version of who's your scholars, who's your hopes for that uh, hard-to-reach student so that he can see that that he can go in for a lower cost? There's a, a huge societal cost for keeping him from getting his high school diploma, a huge societal cost from keeping him in an area where he can't go to work because he will be in society and uh, and that cost will come to us should we reach further into the system and, and do that. And we're doing a lot of programs and working with uh, the high schools to try and develop something in terms of new high school philosophies, alternative high schools. Um, I kind of want to begin with the end in mind on this question, but I'd like to know about your placement rates and how those compare with um, more traditional four-year institutions. And you're thinking of job placement. Yes, I am. Thank you. Well, I think that uh, the one that is the most striking, uh, of course, is the fact that we're graduating uh, uh, 2,000 RNs and 1,000 LPNs, and there aren't enough. And if they stay incomplete – uh, there's a waiting list to get in. They'll be in there. We have 5,000 building and trades apprentices, wow. and uh, they are working to a career that's going to pay them uh, $50,000, $60,000 a year, and they're throughout the state. Uh, our problem actually goes to the other side. It's more anecdotal, and that is if you're in for a two-year program but you get a two-course curriculum in technology, computers – you're very likely in this uh, improving economy to stop and go to work and uh, leave, come to us with an $8 an hour service job and go to work for $15 to $20 an hour and forestall or forego that degree. That's, that's a problem and we don't know how to capture that. We're going to try and get a better handle on those people to see if, one, we don't want to lose them forever. 
Uh, are you looking at distance learning and, and uh, um, online learning, that sort of thing, to maybe fill those gaps? 25,000 uh, people in our distance learning program. Uh, the, the regions uh, each have a distance learning opportunity and uh, John can give you some details on how that works. But we think it's a, it's a, a critical part of the future that is you can't go without an academic experience in a, a campus setting. But uh, as life gets more complicated and you're doing that, uh, you you can't go without distance learning. Well, um, it's it's both um, uh, a service to our students and also, quite frankly, we need to do it to be competitive. Uh, we find the, the number of distance and online courses that we offer – uh, has dramatically increased over the last few years. Um, and, and what we find is that many of the students are are actually online at all kinds of hours that I'm not even awake. And it's because they're taking care of the rest of the, the, rest of the things they need to do in their daily lives, and then they're pursuing their academic career uh, late in the evening. Um, we also have to do it, and we, we offer now a number of courses that are hybrid courses. So students come to us, and they're, they're in the classroom for a certain period of time. They're out of the classroom engaged online with their professor uh, and with their classmates for another portion of that course. And frankly, we have to do that for another reason, and that's uh, facility usage. Mm. Uh, you know, when, when I've got a, a, a building that was designed to hold 5,000 students by 2011 and I've got them in 2007, <laughs> we've got to be a little creative about how we deliver instruction. So, you know, we need to do it. Uh, um, and students learn uh, differently than when I was a student, quite frankly. They learn better than when I was a student, but they they have different ways in which they absorb information and learn. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes to go. So if anybody wants to call in and ask uh, John Weikart uh, or Tom Snyder a question, please uh, do so uh, right away, 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. But I've got plenty of things to fill the rest of the program if nobody calls. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is, John, I want to give you an opportunity to to talk about one or two students who who you've met in your time at Ivy Tech who have sort of touched your life, students that came to Ivy Tech and, you know, you might have gotten to know them and, and that you could just sort of tell people about them. I guess I'd start with my three adult children, <laughs> all, all, all of whom have had the benefit of uh, uh, Ivy Tech coursework. Uh, um, uh, my daughter's still an Ivy Tech student in Kokomo. Uh, my son, who lives here in Bloomington, is an Ivy Tech graduate and works and lives here in Kokomo and is pursuing a, a degree at the university. He's here uh, in Bloomington. Right? He is indeed. What did I say? I, I'm sorry. My daughter's in Kokomo. My oldest son <laughs> is here here in Bloomington. Uh, uh, my youngest son uh, is Ball State graduate and took Ivy Tech courses and transferred them back in. Um, so I have been touched uh, financially and personally by, <laughs> by, by, by those opportunities. But, you know, we have, we have students. Uh, commencement, I, I love commencement because the opportunity to tell stories uh, about our graduates at commencement um, every year that I have been here, one of our students who's a design technology graduate is not able to come to commencement because they are at orientation at Ball State because they've been accepted into the School of Architecture. Now, those students didn't come to us necessarily with a goal of going to Ball State University and the School of Architecture, but they went. Um, my first commencement, I asked uh, those who had been displaced GE workers who were graduating to please stand in 70 individuals stood up who were receiving a technical certificate or associate degree uh, who had been uh, uh, displaced uh, from their employment. So it had the courage uh, to come back, um, and, and, and that's a courageous decision. I think of 300 uh, employees of the French Lick Resort Hotel uh, that I traveled to uh, uh, French Lick a year ago to watch them graduate from the five-star certificate program. Uh, Mr. Cook had gone to those employees and said to them, I'm going to close this facility for a year, but I'm going to keep you in full pay status if you'll go through this training program. And I watched them arrive on buses at our campus in January of that year, 300 individuals, many of whom had never been out of Orange County for years, who had the courage to get on a bus and come to come to a college building and go through computer testing and academic assessment and then complete a training program. And six months later, I, I saw them walk across the stage and be handed a certificate of completion. I met an 80-year-old man who'd worked at the hotel for 50 years who went through that training program 
And I am convinced that that breaks the cycles of unemployment uh, and changes lives uh, for generations. So I've got I've got a million stories like that. And <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, and I, I think that you know sometimes we get we start talking about all the different coursework and all the different things that that is happening at Ivy Tech, and we forget that there are individual stories. There are so many individual stories about people who have gone and what they've been able to accomplish. The one interesting one, the day before I went to Columbus, an article came out in the Columbus paper about Columbus Christian. The sense of the article was, what's it like to go to a school with just five graduating seniors? But the thing that caught our attention is underneath their picture was, was the question, what is your next step in your college career? And all five had indicated first or second choice was to go to Ivy Tech. Yeah. And so people are thinking about this as a way to bridge that gap. And so uh, we think that uh, that's something that we bump into these uh, young people all the time that are now telling me, uh, I'm coming to your school. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, when Michael McRobbie was sitting in the seat that you're sitting in today, Tom, I asked him what advice he would give students um, if he was sitting in a room across the table from a student. And one of the things that he mentioned was um, he would recommend people get some international um, experience, if at all possible. He had some other suggestions, too. But I wonder if you've had an opportunity to think, um, if, as you're advising, running into students and, and have an opportunity to offer the, them advice, what you might suggest to them. Well, I think, one, that's a great uh, piece of advice as far as international. We, we are taking a handful of our culinary students to France, as you might guess, is a good place to expand that. But I think the advice that we want to give people is uh, it's your opportunity and, and we want to give you the, the, uh, the view that you can succeed. And that's, I think, where, where we have to get a message out to sophomores and even freshmen to say in high school, you can go to college and you can you can actually do this. We think a lot of it is taking away the fear and the lack of confidence. And we're dealing with a different student than perhaps the average school, and, and we think that's got to be part of our message. Mm -hmm. John, same question for you. Gosh, um, I, I don't know if I would yet encourage our students to travel internationally, uh, but, but they can they – can, um, go on a lengthy educational academic journey uh, just simply by by coming to us and i think I think if we can impress upon our students that when we talk about lifelong learning it 's not just a phrase um, that uh, pursuit of an academic credential or degree you may think it 's a destination but it 's just part of a journey and uh, and and we have seen students whose lives have been changed by that journey while they've been with us. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, by your actions, you also encourage your students to get involved in their own community. A absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's part of it. All right. We are uh, out of time, actually. Might have time for a 30-second question. So I want to ask Tom uh, if you can answer this in 30 seconds. I mean, what do you see in three to five years for Ivy Tech? Do you have like a long-range goal? Well, I think in uh, certainly in uh, – what I see is that uh, Ivy Tech will become just a household word and it will just be part of the fabric of the, of the decision of uh, career decision inside of Indiana. And I think that if we achieve our objectives, uh, we will see another 50,000 students that will be coming to our doors. And uh, while it won't uh, put us where we need to be, it will get us in the right direction. We've used every second now. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot to Tom Snyder and John Weikart. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.